This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following podcast contains adult language, adult content, weird and unusual stories that all happen to be true. We didn't start this war on safety, but we're going to fight that safety war and we're going to win it. Last episode, we talked about water during a disaster. Today, we're going to be talking about food during a disaster. What kind of food, what do you look for, and everything else today on Safety Wars. Chances are, you're not going to get the 2,000 calorie American diet during a disaster. So what do you do about the food? You have a couple of different choices, but let's break it down into basics. Perishable and non-perishable. To be honest with you, I can't define what non-perishable is because all food is perishable at some point. It has an expiration date. However, I would prioritize eating perishable food first in a disaster. If your refrigerator or freezer doesn't work, that's probably the first thing to go. Some of the things you need to consider. Do you need to plan for a few days, like in our Scenario 1 and Scenario 2 situations? You can catch up on Episode 53, What is a Disaster? The government tells us that we need to have up to 72 hours of food and water. However, most disaster planners tell you up to 14 days. That's what they're dealing with right now in Louisiana after the recent hurricane. If you're dealing with non-perishable food, it all has a shelf life. So what does that mean? You need to rotate things periodically. Some other things to consider. How are you going to cook it? Is there a way of cooking it? Our household has a supply of firewood, has some other fuel like charcoal, and we have different options on how to cook food. But what are we talking about long term? Chances are you're going to run out of fuel. You're going to have to replenish that. You're going to have to do a whole bunch of stuff. Let's not forget about that non-electric can opener, the old-fashioned kind that you actually operate by hand. So this is what you're trying to avoid right here. I don't like puffs. I hate natural. I don't like lagoon. Freeze-dried stuff tastes like hoofna. I hate this stuff. Jimmy, where the hell is my beer? can you buy that terrible food for a disaster? Imagine hearing that for a few days during a disaster. So what do you need to consider? Is that food that you're preparing ahead of time, all that stuff you're storing and everything else, is it something your family will actually eat? You see these disaster pantries with freeze-dried food and all this other stuff. Well, does anybody ever ask, does that food actually taste good? How about 20 years from now when you bought that? Does that really taste good? They guarantee it for like 20, 25 years. I don't know, you gotta try it out. Will your family be okay with eating legumes for 30 days? We talk about taste bud fatigue, you're gonna get that if you have no variety in what you're doing. Some other stuff you need to worry about. Does anyone have any specific dietary requirements or food allergies? This is where planning becomes absolutely necessary. And don't forget, is it nutritious food? Eating potato chips and candy probably is not very advisable or healthy. How much food are we talking about? The typical American diet calls for up to 2,000 calories a day for a male, about 1,800 for a female. What about survival diets? I've heard that some estimates of 800 calories per day is pretty much all you, you need to expect. And that's not so easy. Believe me, I've been on some of those diets. As always, try to conserve your food. Make it last as long as possible. If there is a run on food, like during the pandemic, we all know what products go first. Meat and protein of all types, even the fake meat, cheese, cold cuts, those are gone. We're having a huge shortage right now in our town 
right here at the beginning of September of 2021. Pasta, pancake and waffle mix. You wanna see stuff disappear first? That's a pancake and waffle mix. I'll add syrup into that too. Eggs, flour, sugar, milk, and baking batter. Those are one of the other things that go along. Why? Because those are the primary ingredients for pancakes and waffles, as well as pastries. Cereal of all types. That Tony's Frosted Flakes, you ain't getting them in a disaster. That's first to go. Captain Crunch, that's going. Frozen foods. They go, but realize that you have to keep them frozen. Comfort foods. Anything from cookies and ice cream to any other things you would consider a comfort food. Canned foods. All gone. Spices. Now here's an interesting one. I think for long-term disasters, spices might be a main commodity to be traded in your scenario three and four where you're dealing with primitive living. What are you talking about? Sugar, salt, pepper, hot sauces, things to make stuff taste good. Coffee, tea, any of that. Alcohol for consumption. This could also be traded in a long-term situation. Being drunk in a survival situation is not advisable, but it's something that would probably run out real quick. The other thing is this, rubbing alcohol and peroxide, right? You don't want to drink those. That could kill you, especially the alcohol, but that would be something that you could use for disinfecting. So what are we talking about? Alcohol for consumption? You're talking about your hard liquor and beer and wine. Paper products of all types. We really can't figure this one out. I don't know why people immediately went out and bought toilet paper and paper towels and all the other stuff out there, right? Paper products of all type. However, my 86-year-old mother did point out that there were huge toilet paper sales two weeks before the lockdowns, so this may have something to do with the shortage. Who knows? Utensils. How are you going to eat it? Without potable water like we discussed last time, you may have to rely on paper plates and plastic utensils as well as paper towels and napkins. Storage. Where are you going to keep the stuff so it doesn't get eaten by insects or rodents? That's something you need to really figure out. Way in advance you need to think of this stuff. I recommend preparing for food-related emergencies slowly. Buy an extra can of beans or whatever every week. Buy stuff that you know your family is going to eat. Now we get into the subject of long-term survival. What about long-term survival? We're talking primitive living. Are we going to have a garden or livestock? This takes extensive planning, some money, and a commitment. It might be worth it in some communities that are suburban or rural to have a seed bank. That is seeds, you need to grow your own food and things of that nature, and you may need to have livestock. But most urbanized places in the US restrict the types or size of gardens and the types of livestock you're allowed to have. If you've never had a garden and you want to start one, you actually need years of practice to see what will grow in your community based on soil conditions, based on insects, based on sunlight, based on a whole bunch of stuff. And let's not forget, it's a security issue, especially if food is in short supply. Someone is going to come looking for that food, not only the animals eating it, but guess what? Your neighbors, people from outside your community, stealing food. I know this is an issue in a lot of areas of the country that are very rural, with people actually going into farmers' fields and taking things. My family has a 12 by 20 foot garden that is completely enclosed along with a raised garden bed on my porch. Again, we've learned what works in our garden and for our family, and it's taken us about five seasons. What surprised me is that my wife and I are very experienced gardeners and grew up gardening, huge gardens, and we still had to gain the experience and knowledge on what works in our communities. And remember, as the saying goes, if you want to see a miracle, grow a garden. Now for a very controversial subject. 
What if your neighbor is not prepared or your family members are not prepared? Do you share food with them? This is something you may have to consider in a major long-term disaster. I would say try to work with the people and pool resources. Start entering into trade with people. Develop relationships with your local farmers so you can buy direct if necessary. Get with your friends, see what people grow. Things of that nature, go into canning, or maybe you can can your own food. All this stuff takes time, research, energy. I prefer cooperation over confrontation all the time. Here's a little story from the Superstorm Sandy days. So in the mid-2000s after 9-11, disaster prepping became popular. I was involved in some of the movement myself, but I didn't go overboard, like a lot of folks going completely off the grill and getting paranoid. But let's consider this. I know a family in Tom's River, New Jersey, where a husband and wife team said, we're going to get really prepared for disasters. This is like 2009 and 2010. They ended up pretty much going off the grid. They had everything that you could probably need for a disaster. It took them two years. They made a big commitment to themselves and their family to go ahead and prepare. The older members of the family who had all been through the Great Depression and lived in rural areas, every one of them was like, well, you know what, you're being taking this overboard, but you know what, probably a good idea. The younger family members said to him, you guys are idiots. You guys are, insert whatever phrase you want to do. You're crazy, nuts, whoopy, whoopya, you name it. They're, no, they're going overboard. This stuff will never be used. You're wasting your money, blah, 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 blah. A couple years later, what do you think happened? Superstorm Sandy. The Jersey Shore had been completely decimated by this storm. You're talking no power for weeks, whole communities disappearing. Even not on the Jersey Shore, where I'm from in Woodbridge, New Jersey, they had what was called the Blue Acres program in New Jersey, where whole properties that flooded during Sandy were bought up, whole neighborhoods disappeared. All this stuff happened. What do you think happened to this family I know in Tom's River? They went through and they were helping their elderly relatives. And then guess what? Do you what who showed up? the other people who in their family who were ridiculing them. They wanted food, they wanted their food, they wanted their water, they wanted everything, all their resources, everything they had. And it had caused a rift in the family, this whole preparation thing. So they did something that I wouldn't do. They went and they said, you know what? We'll take care of the elderly people who are on our side in our family because we have a responsibility to our elders and respecting our elders. And they weren't the ones that were mocking us for years on all this prepper stuff. And they, they said, well, look, why don't you take your stuff and go to the local shelter? I don't think that that is a good idea, but these are the kinds of decisions people make, especially when the prepping community, where people lose relationships, people are faced with ridicule. So this is what I'm going to recommend you guys. So you don't have to face this. If you think your relatives, if you think your friends, think that prepping is ridiculous, preparing for food, preparing for emergencies. I wouldn't even share any of what I'm doing with them. I wouldn't do it. However, in an emergency, I would say, you know what? We can help you out a little bit because that's what families do. We help each other out. That's what friends do. That's what communities do. But don't advertise all the time if you have all this stuff out there and you're preparing for things. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.